to start us off with a verse. This is kind of my favorite verse that's right next to a famous verse, okay? John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so that's why we sing, because we have a savior that we're celebrating. If you would stand and sing with us, we're going to start with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And Rod's, Rod's playing with us today, so thank you, Rod, for helping us out. everybody for singing out. We have a couple of other songs, but I do want to read another verse. Um, this is what the Lord's word said in 1 John 4.14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We know that's the whole reason he came, right? To be our Savior. So that's why we, we praise and worship him today. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings The prophet Micah wrote, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. We're just glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. I want to extend a welcome to you if you happen to be here as a guest, if you're here for the very first time, if you received a bulletin, uh, if you didn't, they're on the welcome table, but uh, in that bulletin there's an extra flap. If you would just fill that out if you could, if you don't have a pen, there's one at the welcome table. And we do have a special Christmas gift for you. Well, it's not special. It's not all that special, okay? It's just a gift. Uh, but we'd love to have you take one and uh, we're just glad that you're worshiping with us. If you fill that flap out, if you tear it off your bulletin and put it in the box that is labeled offering, uh, then we have a little more personal way to know your presence, and we're just grateful for your being here. Uh, just a couple of announcements. There will be no midweek stuff going on uh, this next week, and so there's no Awanas, no Bible studies, no uh, men's, men's or women's Bible studies or anything like that. Also, on the 16th in the evening, uh, January 16th, we'll be having a a church prayer time, so I encourage you, invite you to join us for that. It'll be in the Fellowship Hall. And then uh, just to ask for your prayers for Anand, uh, Darla, and his family. I know I uh, see Timothy's here this morning, so bless you for braving it out, but uh, the rest of the family's not doing well, so just uh, pray for they've been, They're ill, so they, they've just been struggling with some sickness, so just uh, thank you uh, for praying for them. Uh, so let's just uh, open our time as we worship the Lord and His Word, let's open that time in prayer. Father, uh, thank You so much for the sending of Your Son uh, as we celebrate Christmas, celebrated yesterday, as we kind of continue in that vein yet today, uh, there's no time in which we cannot or should not celebrate the birth of our Savior. We thank You for that. I pray that You would work in the hearts and lives of many in our church family because I know uh, that not only in our church family, but around the world, this is not necessarily a time of, it is a time of great joy, but it's also a time of sorrow uh, because many have experienced the loss of those dear or they're lonely and not able to be around the family that they love so much or some without family and whatever the case may be, Father, I pray that they would know your comfort and your peace and your grace and your mercy. We ask now that you would take your word and let it do its work by the power of your Spirit in each of our hearts, and that we would see it for what it is, the Word of God and not the Word of men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On, on June 16, 1858, Abraham Lincoln gave what has become to be known as his great A House Divided speech. Okay, And in that speech, he actually quoted a Scripture. Mark chapter 3, verse 25, when he said, If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
Well, see, the country was in the middle of debating the, the issue of slavery. And Abraham Lincoln knew that this issue of slavery was dividing the country. And so he said, we need to practice this unity. A house divided itself will not stand. And so it was his call for unity. And unity is very critical for the longevity of a country. But it's, I think, probably even more important in the family and especially in the church family. And so when we look around the, the, the world and, and, and we see the things going chaotically, there's a lot of room for and a lot of reasons for people being divided. In fact, you know, this morning in the first service, uh, our brother Paul opened up to John 17. And in John 17, the, Jesus makes a case that unity within the body of Christ is a bold and courageous testimony to the reality of Jesus and what he came to do. And since Satan is no fool, and he knows that if he can bring division in the body, he can undermine our testimony to the reality of Jesus to the world, he certainly decides to attack us and to bring division. So that's part of his cause. And if you think about what's going on in the world, there are a lot of reasons, a lot of opportunities to get upset, you know. I mean, when I think about all of the divisiveness in our culture uh, that's there, there's disagreements about, um, you know, how you should deal with the, the whole pandemic issue. That's a cause for uh, disagreement and dissension. There's all this uh, rankling about what is uh, right and wrong and uh, what's woke and what's not woke, and some people are woke and some people think need, need, others need to be awakened. Uh, there's all sorts of divisiveness and, uh, you know, political parties are at odds with each other and it's just all kinds of intolerance and I'm going to write you off if you don't agree with me on certain issues. And all of that is just kind of fueling this hostility in our culture that is carried into the church. And can be carried into the church if, if we're not, not, held, not careful. And Creekside Church is not exempt from Satan's attempts uh, to bring division. As I heard one brother say at one time, you know, it's, there's, there's uh, fiction, friction, and faction. Okay, so when there's fiction, that brings friction that leads to faction in, in the church. And so this morning... With all of that going on, it seemed to me that, that, that the pursuit and the preservation of harmony should become a priority in the body of Christ. And the passage of Scripture that I've chosen for us to look at that I think addresses this issue, it's not the only one that would, but it does, is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And Paul motivates us to pursue harmony by sharing the secret to obtaining unity within any local body. And the keys that unlock the secret are, to unity are found. The, the, the keys that unlock the secret are found where? In the cradle of Bethlehem. In the cross of Calvary. And in the crown of our risen King. And so if you have your Bible or your uh, device and or you want to reach under the seat in front of you and get the Scriptures and open it up to Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to begin. In Luke chapter 2, Paul employs two tactics to motivate the body of Christ to live and serve together in unity. By individually, I'm going to say that again, by individually exercising humility. Philippians chapter 2. If therefore there is any consolation, If there, I'm sorry, if therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort or consolation of His love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit or affection or compassion, fulfill my joy, make my joy complete, Paul says, by being of one mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard others as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own selfish interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking upon him the form of a servant, being found in, a, in fashion as a man. And being in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, by becoming obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here Paul lays out for us two tactics that he gives for producing and providing us with impetus and motivation for individual humility that is the key for unity in the body of Christ. And the first one is we're given a mandate for unity. Paul's mandate has two components. What's the grounds for his mandate? What are the grounds for his command? And Paul is writing the book of Philippians to express his gratitude and his desire for their spiritual maturity. If you have your Bibles open or your device, you can go to verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear uh, of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Maturity and unity go hand in hand. Because Unity is the manifestation, I think, if you look at verse 27 of chapter 1. Unity is the manifestation of maturity. Where there's unity in the body, there's evidence of maturity among the believers. And so, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, in chapter 2, he appeals to the reality of our identity in Christ as the grounds for his elevation of uh, for the grounds of his call to unity. If you looked at, at verse 1, if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love uh, being connected with him, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection or compassion, if that's true, basically he's saying, if you're really children of God, If you're really children of God, because children of God, there, there is comfort, there's encouragement in being in Christ. There is comfort from His love. There is affection. There is this, uh, this uh, unity of the Spirit. There's this presence because all of us have been united by Christ into one body. Okay? So there's a fellowship of the Spirit. There's affection. There's compassion. There's, there's a visceral connection with people who are part of the body of Christ. If you're really believers... Act like it. Act like your body of believers. Act like you are the same people. Act like it towards one another. Heartfelt sympathy. You know, throughout my life, I've been on many teams, and, uh, and, and some of you have been on teams, or you may not call it, maybe you've been on a team at work, maybe you've been on a team as an athletic team, maybe you've been on a musical team, maybe you've been on, uh, uh, you know, whether it's uh, choral or maybe it's uh, uh, instrumental. You've been part of that team. And there are certain rules and regulations and requirements that you have to follow, right, to be part of the team. There's uh, training rules and there are things you have to follow. And you're called to do that. But you know, if it's a good team and you like being on the team, man, you're just committed to, to be part of that team. You're committed to do the things you need to do. You're committed to be there and you're actually compelled because you're joyfully glad to be a part of that team. It'd be the same way in the body of Christ. We're all part of the same team. There's joy in serving. Eh, not that I just have to do this. I, I, I'm required to do this. But I want to do this because I'm excited. I want to come to church because I want to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to connect with them and find out how they're doing and see how I can pray for them, encourage them in, in Christ. That's part of what it means. So that's the, the grounds for the command is because we're children of God. The guts of the command is in, in verse 2. Make my joy complete. This is Paul writing to his, the church. Make me happy. No, make me joyful. Any parent will tell you that there's no greater joy. Any believing parent will tell you there's no greater joy than knowing that your children, as John says, are walking in the truth. 
They're living for and loving Jesus. That's the greatest joy of a parent's heart. The greatest joy of Paul's heart would be to see the body of Christ living together in unity. That's what he wanted them to do. Now, and he emphasizes, if you look at verse 2, just look at verse 2. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, same spirit, intent on one purpose, same purpose. I mean, he used different language, but basically the same, 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 same. Now, Paul was not advocating uniformity in the body of Christ, okay? So, not everybody's going to look the same. Aren't we glad about that? You know? Not everybody's going to wear the same clothes. You know, some people may be tatted up and have some piercings, and some people are like, oh, I, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't do that. Some people have long hair, short hair. Some people have red hair. Some people have purple hair because they're, you know, their hair color didn't work. Some people have, you know, different stuff. That's okay. You laugh, uh, but I've, you know, I've known little old ladies with purple hair, you know. Uh, <laughs> But now, and yeah, but if that person was young, hair, young and had purple hair, you wouldn't think a thing of it, would you? So oh yeah, they're really being hip. They're cool. You know, they got some, you know, whatever, red, purple, green, different color for a different day of the week. Uh, whatever, whatever trips your trigger, floats your boat, or yanks your chain, whatever. But we, we can just be in the body of Christ. We don't have to have uniformity. It'd be a boring place if we were all the same. But Paul's not also, he's also not advocating for unanimity. Unanimity is that we don't have to agree on the style of music. We don't all have to agree on what educational choice we have for our kids. We don't all have to agree on which political party we're a part of. No, we don't all have to agree uh, of how we would do a certain thing, how the sanctuary is organized, what the color of the carpet is. We don't have to all agree on that stuff. That's not the point. Unity is this. It's a commitment of the will whereby those people with strong tensions are held together because of an overwhelming and supreme loyalty to each other as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That our relationship with each other by virtue of our connection to Jesus is vastly more important than anything that would differentiate us. It's so it is our commitment to Christ and our commitment to God's Word that holds us together. We're not going to compromise God's Word and we're recommitted to each other as the body of Christ. And that's what holds us together. That's how it come. You can have people from all different, diverse backgrounds, whether it's socioeconomically, whether it's ethnically, whether it's uh, politically, you can have us all together and we can still love Jesus and work together and serve each other in the body of Christ. That's, the, that's what testifies to the world, because that doesn't happen in the world. Right? We're siloing ourselves. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a this person. I'm a this person. I'm a this person. You know, I believe in this. And, we, and if you don't believe in what I believe, I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to write you off. I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. I'm going to unfollow you on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all this stuff. It's like, grow up. You know? Just the body of Christ is different. The glue that holds us together is our union with Christ. So we're given by Paul the mandate, and then he gives us the means. How can we make this happen? In verses 3 through 11, uh, how can imperfect people live in harmony? You know, I tell people, you say, you know, I would just tell you, when newcomers come to Creekside and I'm visiting with them, I just say, you know, we're not a perfect church. And that's true, because we're made up, made up of imperfect people. And then I tell people, I said, if you find a perfect church, don't, don't go there, because then it won't be perfect. Uh, so how could we do this? Here's the key. It's one word. Humility. Humility. Paul gives us two motivations for humility. He gives us an exhortation to humility in verses 3 and 4. And you look at verse 3, he says, negatively, do nothing. <laughs> that covers a lot of ground. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Okay. That's do nothing from self-promotion, from pushing our own agenda. 
or positioning for power or influence. That's selfish ambition. Don't do it from that. Because that fuels division. Doesn't fuel harmony. If I'm advocating for promoting, I'm not saying you can't voice your own opinion. You can't say this. But if you're pushing it and you have to have your agenda, it has to be done your way or take the highway, then there's, there's a question that should be asked. See, and ministry leadership is not exclusively the environment in which this division and this self-promotion can take place, but oftentimes it allows for it. For people in positions of ministry leadership, they can, you know, it can go to your head. And then they begin to push the influence. Of, I, I have a friend of mine, he, he serves in a church, and um, he, uh, he had a staff member that was unbeknownst to him, was basically undermining him. Going behind his back and talking to people and trying to find dirt out about this friend of mine. And, uh, it, it, and then he stood up publicly. At a, they had a, a meeting and this person stood up publicly and for 45 minutes berated the, the, the pastor who was the lead pastor of the church in front of the congregation. My dear brother is still at that church serving by God's grace. But it just wreaked havoc in the church. And you think God smiles at that? I think God is distraught over that kind of mess. You expect that in the world. You don't expect that in the body of Christ. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I'm praying, I'm praying that God would, would extrogate, that he would exercise uh, out from among us all selfish ambition. That it's about me. No. We, we heard Friday night, it's not about us. It's, it's about God. And it's not unique to me to say that. Then he's, or, or empty conceit. <clears throat> this is the baseless elevation of our own selves. A baseless elevation of our own importance. Some of you know, if you know history a little bit, and, and I don't mean to say that like I'm the world's renowned historian. I'm not. I mean, I basically slept through most of my history classes, and I was not. I mean, I just, I just, the names, I can memorize a lot of stuff, but names and dates and places like that, I just kind of, ooh. Uh, kind of drew a blank. But anyhow, uh, in the story of Great Britain, there was this ongoing animosity between one member of parliament, Lady Astor, and then Prime Minister Winston Churchill. And Lady Astor once said to Winston Churchill, she says, oh, Mr. Prime Minister, I perceive that you are drunk. And Churchill responded, Lady Astor, I perceive that you are ugly. And tomorrow I shall be sober. <laughs> A baseless elevation of ourself is what he talks about empty conceit. This is not it. A proud Christian is a, is a contradiction, it's an oxymoron. And I don't know about you, but I, pride is such a, a nasty, little deceptive sin that it, it just infiltrates in ways and permeates in ways that we don't even see it. It disguises itself. You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, for who regards you as superior? For what do you have that you have not received? Now think about that for a minute. What do you have that you have not received? You may not like what you have. Okay, the way you look, you know, the, 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 the material blessings that you have, the, the family, the opportunities, the privileges. What do you have that you have not received? Nothing. So he says, for if you have received it, then why do you boast as if you haven't received it? There's absolutely nothing that we have that we have reason to boast about before other people. You say, well, yeah, but I worked hard. To uh, Good. Who gave you the physical health, the mental capabilities, and the opportunities to work so hard to be where you're at financially? You? No, God. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard, you shouldn't do your thing, but then, so this is it. So why do you boast? An unteachable heart and a critical spirit are two signs of empty conceit. An unteachable spirit and a critical heart. 
And I stand here before you to say that I know that both of those things are true of me. Maybe not all the time, but at times. You see, you don't think about that, right? You don't think, well, well, somebody tries to instruct you or correct you. What do you, who, who, who makes you, who made you God and you're going to tell me? Oh, yeah? A little unteachable heart there, right? A little unteachable spirit? Yeah. God says, no, this is not it. Then he says, positively, with humility, each of you regarded one another as more important than himself. Regard is an ongoing activity. <laughs> it's not like, okay, I regarded somebody more important myself. I opened the door and let them go in. Now I'm done. Good for the day. <laughs> no. Regard each other as an ongoing activity. As we cross paths in the church, are we, are we even thinking about the other person's feelings? The other person's situation in life? Where they might be struggling, where they might be challenged, where they might be encouraged? Their thoughts, their attitudes, their work situation. Or are we just passing in the night trying to get from one place to the next? Well, I hope the coffee's still hot. Do we value the input, honor the efforts, and support the decisions of others in our church family and our own family? We value their input? Do we appreciate their efforts? You know? Like Rod, bless his heart, you weren't planning on playing this morning, were you? No. But, you know, he, he took a little bit of, off of Dakota because Dakota, Dakota was all set up. See this thing that's lit up here? That means Dakota was going to play it. Right? But now, wouldn't it be a little more freeing just to be able to lead in singing instead of playing and singing? I don't know, but I can't do either. So, to do both at the same time is like, Wow. So Roger says, yeah, I'll play. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Think about how we can honor. With humility, each of you regard others as more important than yourselves. Negatively, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Oh, yeah, well, there's an open spot in the, right at the front of the church. I'm going there. Besides, I was here 20 minutes early. Those other sluggers are still sleeping in bed. That's their problem. You know? They want to, I, I, I'm going to turn around when they walk in late. I'm going to play the Holy Spirit and give them the conviction look. Sluggard, not holy enough to be to church on time. No. He says, positively then, he goes, look out for others. You know, we got people looking out for each other, like Rod did. We got people looking out for each other after the, you know, we got people setting up for the first service. You didn't even know if you didn't come to the first service, you didn't know we had a first service. And if you didn't come to the first service, you didn't know that the chairs were already set up. And somebody did that. I wonder, would we, would we be willing to actually engage in a conversation with somebody after church and say, you know, how's life? Introduce ourselves, step out of our comfort zone, introduce ourselves to somebody we didn't know, you know. I mean, even some of you have been here going for a long time. There's people you don't know, you've never met, because, we, oh, I got to get to El Barco, you know. <laughs> a pastor, he was preaching, and he got going too long, and, you know, I'm, I'm late. We're, we're going to have to stand in line, or I have to wait outside, you know, or wherever your Culver's or, uh, you know, Olive Garden, whatever your place of choice is. Maybe you don't go out to eat, and that's fine, too. Oh, the roast burning. I don't have time to talk to people about their life. I just came to church. You expect me to love people? Yeah. We, we look at, at, uh, at ministry plans as an elder's plan and strategize and think and pray about the future. We look at those with an eye for what's in it for me or we look at it for what's best for the future of the church and the, and the reaching of lost souls for Christ humility then there's an example of humility he gives us the exhortation but then he gives us the example to hold up jesus have adopt have this attitude we're supposed to adopt the attitude of christ he existed in the form of god that doesn't mean he looked like god <laughs> okay physically existing in the form of god uh, speaks to the issue of his of his um, essence his character Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3, he was the exact representation of his nature. 
self-existent, pre-existent. I love it when R.C. Sproul says, the aseity of God, okay? His self-existence. This speaks to his self-existence. R.C. Sproul is dead, by the way. I'm not, he doesn't speak that way now, okay? So I'm, I, want, I do know that. I, I don't know what a Bluetooth um, speaker is. I didn't have the, uh, the mental fortitude to say that Friday night. I said the boombox, so everybody, all the young people laughed at me because they don't even know what a boombox is. The older people laughed at me because they know what a boombox is, but they also know what a Bluetooth speaker is. And I didn't make the connection. Yes, my daughter was trying to hook up a Bluetooth speaker to my wife's phone. And I said, Blue bo- boombox. But I do know that R.C. Sproul's dead. And he does say, he does say that with great clarity. But here it is. God, his, his self-existence, his pre-existence. And then we see his coexistence. Didn't re- not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't grasp it. I think about that. I think about the Lord Jesus. He existed with the Father. He didn't demand the recognition. He didn't hold on to His glory in heaven. He didn't hold on to His majesty and His greatness and His omnipotence and an omniscience and an omnipresence. He humbled Himself. He became a man. A baby, no less. You know, He didn't just like zap in as a teenager. You know, to forego that humiliating part of slobbering and baby's diapers being changed and being dependent upon his mother no no he didn't he didn't skip all that part he emptied himself all of his rights and his privileges and positions and glory as god were not the things that jesus held on to rather he voluntarily emptied himself for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes For our sakes, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. His poverty, we can become rich. How? Monetarily? No. By an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for us, that we have life now that's abundant and meaningful and with purpose. He made it so we could. We see the example of of his humility. He emptied himself. What what am I willing to empty myself of? What are you willing? You're willing to empty yourself of your own importance? Your position? Your title? your, Your financial status? Your degrees? You know? Your position? There are three events that help us understand Jesus' humility and propel me, I propel us, I think, towards unity. First of all, the cradle. There are three phrases that help us understand the emptying. He took upon him the form of a bondservant. I like what Holly Girth says. She, she put it this way. He came not to a throne, but to a manger. He lived not as a king, but as a servant. He is the king, but he lived as a servant. None of us are kings, but are we willing to live as servants? Jesus didn't divest himself of his human nature in the incarnation, or his divine nature. He didn't somehow become undivine when he became a human being. No, he just added to himself the the human nature, fully human nature. As I, I think somebody said this, so it's not original with me. He, he wasn't one of the Avengers, okay? You know, he didn't, didn't kind of like add some superhero powers to himself. No. He's fully divine and fully human. No less divine being. He says, uh, he was a servant. Matthew chapter 20, verse 21. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And... Uh, he, he was made in the likeness of men, verse 7. Being made, the, the divine son experienced something new. <laughs> Think about that. He experienced humanity so that he could be our substitute at Calvary. 
And being found in appearance as a man attempts to present the full picture. He was in the appearance of a man. He wasn't just a man. He was a man, but he wasn't just a man. He was in the appearance of a man. So he was fully human, but he was also fully divine. And John put it well. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld Him. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Colossians 2, 9. Jesus poured Himself out to become a servant and a substitute. And he voluntarily, I think, limited the full exercise of all of his divine attributes while he was a human being. So that there were some things that he didn't know. And he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men as a human being. That's Jesus. Just like that story, you know, the prince and the pauper. Where the, the, the prince, you know, leaves the palace and mingles with the, the rest of the people. Becomes uh, like a servant, like a, like a regular person. That's what Jesus did when he, when he came to earth. He didn't change uh, his reality of who he was, just a manner of his existence. He didn't cease to become God, but willingly subjected himself to the struggles, to the human pain, the human suffering, and the human te temptations that we suffer. So we can identify with us. There's nothing that you and I go through from a human experience that Jesus hasn't in some way experienced. He knows sorrow from loss. He knows temptation, sin. He knows disappointment. He knows physical pain in a way that hopefully none of us ever do. And I ask, am I, are we willing to submit to the kind of sacrifice that Jesus submitted to for us? I mean, you think about it. I've said this before. There's nothing I can give that is greater than what Christ has given for me. I don't like to think about that very much. You know, because I'm tired sometimes. I don't want to put the dishes up. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Yeah, so is my wife. You know, I don't want to pick up chairs at church. I, I don't feel like getting up early on Sunday morning to come and lead in worship. You know, to practice. I don't feel like showing up when nobody even knows that I'm there unless the slides don't come the way they should and then everybody's looking back and saying what's going on if the microphone's not turned on who wants that why should I come and you know listen to a bunch of snotty nosed little kids recite scripture verses every week because there's nothing that they need more than Jesus and there's nothing that Jesus wouldn't do for me that I shouldn't do for them. That takes humility. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. Isn't it amazing that we can come together as people who are engineers and people who are accountants and people who are physical therapists and people who are realtors and people who have degrees in pharmacy and people who have IT degrees and uh, computer gurus and geeks and just common folks who are truck drivers and school teachers and all kinds of people and we can serve Jesus together. That's what God calls us to. That's the humility that Jesus wants. That's what brings unity in the body of Christ that keeps Satan from having his way and deteriorating, destroying the testimony of the church about the reality of who Jesus is. How can you serve? Jesus didn't say, how can you serve me? But he said, how can I serve you? So let us say, not how can you serve me? But how can I serve you? In the body of Christ. How can I serve you? As we think about 2022. Let that be our mind. How can I serve you? Not. Well. What's the matter? What's the No rolls. To, we had cupcakes last week. What's the problem? We did. That's for real. You know. If you weren't here. I didn't have one. But we had them. Nice ones too. You know. And cookies. Kind of sparse today. Don't you think? 
Well, what are we worrying about? There's coffee there. There's things. You, if you don't like coffee, you don't. I don't drink coffee, but I'm just praise, praise God. We have people that come every week to put that stuff on because some of you need it. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little carnal. Okay, uh, so <laughs> then there's the cross. There's the cradle, then there's the cross. And the cross is in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Death on the cross. Do you know that Jesus learned obedience? The Bible says that. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus' humility was forged on the anvil of obedient suffering. And guess what? Our obedience or our humility is forged on the anvil of obedient suffering. Oh, we're not better than Jesus, huh? No. Our, our humility is forged on the anvil of obedient suffering. As we suffer in obedience. He suffered to the point of death. And his crucifixion was, you know, on the cross. That was reserved for the worst of criminals. And he was sinless. The king of glory became a curse for us. Why? To reconcile us to God. Because we are wicked, depraved, sinful, wretched, miserable people in rebellion against God. And the only way that God could restore us back into right relationship with Himself was to punish us vicariously, that means through someone else, through Jesus. And so when He died on the cross, He took the payment for sin that you and I deserve so that if we would just acknowledge our own rebellion, repent and turn and trust what he did, we could be delivered and rescued and saved. That's why he became a curse for us, that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. Do you believe that? If you do, praise God. It's a means of joy and humility. But it, or not a means, but it is a reason for joy and humility. And if you don't, I just challenge you and implore you to take a good hard look at the reality of the crucifixion and the reality of the resurrection in which Jesus did die, did rise from the dead as evidence for the truthfulness of the Scripture and what He did for us. Our humility is forged on the anvil of obedient suffering. Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A choice. A choice to initiate a conversation with somebody you don't know. Well, I'm not really a social person, Pastor Steve. You're a person, aren't you? And maybe you're not the most social person, but maybe you could talk to one person. I'm not asking you to get up here and speak, but maybe we could initiate a conversation with some person after youth, after church or in your youth group or whatever. A newcomer, maybe somebody you don't know. Maybe you're going to commit to being on a praise team or at least volunteer. We sent out this survey about asking people where they're involved and maybe you filled the survey out. I hope you did. If you didn't, that's not a problem. You can still be a part of serving other people in different ways. What a glorious thing. And kudos to Betty, uh, uh, Debbie, I'm sorry, Debbie and the gang that put the program on. Debbie, what a great thing. It was great to see all the people last week involved in the Christmas program. And you know what? There's a whole bunch more that could have been. And I was blown away by how many that we had that did these things. And you can do this. You can serve in the body of Christ. Use your gifts, your abilities, your talents for God's glory and the encouragement of the saints. That's what God has called us to do. It, it's going to, yeah, okay, you might have to sacrifice some time camping because you've got to be here on the weekends, you know. Or traveling, you know, you give money to the church. Yeah, well, I can't, I, mean, I have to put off buying my new, uh, you know, SUV. Really? Are we really suffering that badly? You know, give a little bit to the church and like, pff, having trouble putting food on the table. No. Most of us, no. Some of us, maybe yes. That's where the body of Christ comes in and we can help. Sacrificial service, as my brother Darwin Anderson says, is expensive worship. No, it's expensive. Give a vacation to spend a week in Haiti or two weeks. <laughs> That's expensive worship. 
And he chose not a kingdom, as Holly Gerst says, but a cross. He gave not just a little, but everything. Christ, so here we have it. And the response of that, Jesus uh, rules, and then, then, then there's the crown. There's the cradle, there's the cross, and then the crown. Notice how the text moves us from the cradle to the cross to the crown. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this is not a universalism verse. This verse does not, these verses do not teach that everybody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. For the person who is a child of God, it is a, an acknowledgement that, that Christ is king. But for the person who doesn't acknowledge God, he's still going to acknowledge Jesus as king, but it's going to be horrendous torment and torture for them. But they're going to know that he's the king. So one way or the other, you're going to know that he's the king. Rejoicing or mourning, he will be the king. Hopeless despair. You see, when Jesus is exalted, the Father is glorified. And when Jesus is exalted in the church, the Father is glorified. And you know what? That's why God put us here. You know, Isaiah 43.7, you can look it up. I think it's 43.7. We're created for His glory. To the glory of God. That's what we're here for. Listen to what A.W. Tozier wrote this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What unity in the body, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus not on each other. Because if each of us has our eyes on Jesus, then we are going to be unified with each other. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, if we're really believers, we're going to be unified. And so my, my prayer is that we would consider Christ's Paul's exhortation to humility, Christ's example of humility, and then ask ourselves, first of all, those who don't know Christ, those who've never put their faith in Christ, ask this question, have I humbly my, humbled myself to repent of my sin and confessed Jesus as Lord? I mean, that's the first step of humility, is acknowledging uh, there is a God and it's not me. And I commit myself to him. And so if you're here this morning, you're listening online and you've never put your faith or trust, you never submitted, you never surrendered to Christ, I'm imploring you to get out your white flag and wave that white flag of surrender and yield your life to Christ. Because apart from it, one day you will cry out, He is Lord, He is Lord, and you will be in torment. And if you know Jesus, then my challenge for me and for all of us is, Lord, would you reveal the selfish ambition and empty conceit in my heart? At work, at home, in the church. And would you purge me? Would you be, do your powerful work to, to extricate it, to eliminate it from my life? It's a, it's a lifelong process. But God, in His Spirit, we ask Him. I think He'll reveal the evidence of it in our lives my experience has been, if I ask God to show me something that's wrong in my life, He's not long in, in revealing it, okay? And then ask ourselves, what, what are the interests of others? Lord, help me to be attuned to the interests of others. Where is the Lord prompting you? Where is He prompting me to empty myself of my selfish ambition and vain conceit and to minister and serve? Maybe it's in the nursery. Maybe it's on his praise team. Maybe it's helping set up and tear down. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's starting a new ministry. I don't know what it is, but God can show you. And here's the deal. Unity in the body is predicated on humility. 
And so by God's grace, we strive to humble ourselves and seek His face, turn from our wicked ways, and let Him do His work. And as we, as we take the elements of communion, as we open the little containers and take the wafer and the juice, here we, we have symbols of Christ's sacrifice. So let us reflect on what He's done for us. This is the ultimate example. This is the example Paul's talking about. He humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death for us. It should be a time of reflecting on God's mercy and saving us and recommitting ourselves to humbly serve in light of what he's done for us. So if you're here as a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're welcome to take of these elements. I would just challenge you to take a moment or two to search your heart, confess any known sin, and repent so that when you take these elements, you're taking them as someone whose heart is as much as you can be right with God. I'm going to ask uh, Dakota to come on up and... uh, uh, lead us in a, in, a, in a song, or I don't know if that's what you were planning on doing, brother, but we're, we're going to put you on the spot and just ask you to pray with me if you would. Father, uh, thank you for the example of Jesus. I thank you for the exhortation of Paul. I thank you that we have been given this mandate and the means of seeing unity as a priority in the body of Christ. And I pray, Father, for Creekside that you would work powerfully in us as individuals to develop maturity so that unity is a natural outflow because of our humility. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.